Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, WCC. Merry Christmas. I love, I love this time of year. I love just being together with family. I love the movies. Uh, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. You know that one? Ho, ho, ho. Uh, to George, how about this one? To George Bailey, the richest man in town. You know, remember that? I love it. I love this time of year. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to look at quickly some passages in Hebrews 1 and then Hebrews 2. And I want to confess to you that uh, this time of year is always a struggle for me in, in preaching out sermons, uh, Christmas sermons. Normally, uh, when pastors preach Advent messages, a lot of times they do something pretty simple, something very basic, and I appreciate that. I've done that in the past. But I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, right now, we are going through a sermon series in the book of Hebrews. And it turns out that the first chapter of Hebrews is about Jesus being God, about Jesus being fully God. And then in chapter 2, the author transitions and he starts talking about Jesus becoming man, Jesus taking on flesh and blood. Well, that's the message of Christmas, right? This great truth that Jesus is God and that he came down to earth to become a man. So that's what we're going to continue thinking about today. We're going to spend a lot of time this morning thinking about the humanity of Jesus Christ. And we're also going to look at parts of Luke 2, which we just read, um, and give some, which gives us some details in the gospel narratives about Jesus' birth. But really, what I want us to do this morning is to really think deeply about Jesus' humanity. And I do I want to say this to begin, that what we believe is so important for us. What we believe, especially what we believe about God, and specifically what we believe about Jesus Christ is so important for us. Um, I'm convinced that the wrong beliefs about Jesus can have terrible consequences for us. On the flip side, when our understanding of Christ is biblical, when it's correct, that provides us with a solid foundation. And it's not just about being saved. A correct understanding of Christ about who he is really has a huge impact on our day-to-day lives because we're called to live each day by faith. We're called to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And to live by faith in him, we have to know who he is. Okay, So we really need to know about who the person of Christ is. <clears throat> All right. Right up front, I'm going to talk more about this next week too. I have sort of a confession to make. This study of Hebrews has done something very important for me because I've learned that my understanding about the humanity of Christ has been a little bit off. And I didn't intentionally do that, but through this deep study, it's one of the great things about going through a book of the Bible. You can learn and it forces you to study verse by verse. And I've learned that my understanding about the humanity of Christ has been a little bit off. I'm going to talk a lot more about that next week. But I'm hoping I'm not the only one. So I'm hoping that, that maybe some of us need to clarify our thinking. And even if we have everything right, which I doubt, but even if we have everything right, it's always good to, to remember and refresh that. Let me give you a little bit of church history. For about 400 years after the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, for about 400 years, the church was in this constant debate, in this constant conversation about the person of Jesus Christ, about who he is. 
So the church had many meetings and councils, and they dealt with heresies, and they came up with statements of faith. And most of these were about the person of Christ. So for centuries, the church thought about these issues really deeply, and specifically about the question is, who is Jesus Christ? And in my view, you're on safe ground if you stick with what the church decided in those first 400 years. People can easily go off the rails. You can go into false teaching, even inadvertently, if you ignore and abandon what the church has, has established. So what just the basic teaching, I've talked about this many times, is what the church has understood and what the church teaches is that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And you can see that in Hebrews. Look look at Hebrews, we've we've talked about this before, but look at Hebrews 1 verse 2. It's the very beginning, this is how the author of Hebrews sets the stage for us in the book. Hebrews 1 verse 2, it says, But in these last days he, God the Father, has spoken to us by his Son, that's Jesus, whom he, the Father, appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that is a clear teaching that Jesus Christ is God. He's fully God. If you go down to verse 8, it's Hebrews 1.8. It says, but of the Son, he says, and think about this, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the author of Hebrews is specifically and explicitly saying that the Son, Jesus, is God. He says that your, he's talking about the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So Hebrews 1 teaches that Jesus is God. And then when we start looking at Hebrews 2, we see that the author is saying that Jesus is not only God, but he's, he's fully human. He's a real human being. If you look at Hebrews 2, flip over to Hebrews 2, verse 14. I'm going to have you flip around to much today. Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus partook of flesh and blood. Another translation says Jesus shared in their humanity. All right? If you look at Hebrews 2, verse 17, something very similar. It says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Another translation says Jesus had to be made fully human in every way. So the author of Hebrews is stressing that Jesus is not only God, but Jesus shared in our humanity. Jesus, who is God the Son, is a real human being. So again, he's fully God and fully man. Now here's the hard part. What exactly does that mean? <laughs> what, how does that, that play itself out? What, what does that mean that Jesus is fully God and fully man? And what you, what you begin seeing is when you start studying theology and all these deep things, you realize that, that these are profound mysteries, and you get into very, very deep thinking. Very, very, and some of this stuff is very, very complex. I think the, most, the two most difficult things to understand in the Christian faith are the Trinity, that God is one, one God in three persons, and the other one is the person of Jesus Christ, how he can be fully God and fully man. But what, one of the things I've thought about those, these are mysteries that I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend. But to me, that's one of those things that shows that what we believe is true. If, if you understood everything, to me, it starts to sound like a man-made thing. If, if, you, if everything was squeaky clean all the time, then you, it seems to me you're not dealing with the true God. 
So mystery is part of, uh, of the faith. Um, I, I, as I said, I don't think we'll ever fully comprehend the person of Christ. And so this is a massive struggle. And what you see is that the church has developed this complicated language, this complex vocabulary, complicated ideas to try to figure out exactly what this means. So you'll hear words like, if you start getting into this, you'll hear like monogenes or pactum salutis or hypostatic union. Okay, you start reading and you start here seeing all these words in a row. It reminds me of, of a joke that I heard from R.C. Sproul. It was a, this is a seminary joke. And he said this was, this was written on the wall of a seminary, supposedly. This is what it said. It said, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And they said, you are the eschatological manifestation of our ground of being, the hypostatic union and kerygma upon which our ontological relationships are based. And Jesus said, huh? <laughs> so that, that's the way I feel sometimes when I start reading through some of this deep, very complex stuff. Sometimes I think the theologians don't even know what they're talking about, to be honest. But the, this complex language is understandable because, again, they're trying to grapple with the fact that Jesus is truly God and he's a human being. It's, it's so, so difficult. So I said, as I said in Hebrews 2, we see the author is showing that Jesus is truly human. Again, in verse 14, he shared in our flesh and blood. In verse 17, he had to be made like us in every respect, in every way. He was a real human. Look, look at uh, Hebrews 2, verse 13. This is interesting. Look at Hebrews 2, verse 13. This is a psalm, and this is ascribing the Lord, words to the Lord Jesus, and he's talking to God the Father. Now listen to what it's saying Jesus is saying to God the Father. Look at verse 14, 13, I mean. It said, I will put my trust in him. I will put my trust in God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I will put my trust in God the Father. As fully man, he was a believing man. Jesus was a man of faith. Think about that. He lived by faith in his humanity. He was a living, he was a believing man. He had perfect faith in God the Father. So the author of Hebrews, again, is stressing that Jesus in his, in his humanity that he had to be made like us. The only difference is Jesus was without sin. He was totally sinless. He never sinned. He didn't have a sin nature. He had no desire to sin. But in every other way, he was like us. Also, I think this is helpful. Anytime you talk about Jesus Christ, it's helpful to think about these two natures and continuously thinking about Jesus having two natures, about him having a divine nature and a human nature. We have one nature. We have a human nature. But Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature. And these two natures don't mingle together, and one doesn't cancel out the other one. So he, he's God and he's man. As I said, the struggle is how does that work? What does that mean that Jesus is, is fully human? And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Uh, in Luke 1, the famous Christmas passage, we didn't look at it this morning, but the famous passage where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and we learn that Jesus is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit creates in the womb of Mary the baby Jesus. So Jesus does not have a human father, but he has a human mother, Mary. So Jesus, I believe Jesus has the DNA of Mary. In his, in his humanity, Jesus has the genetic makeup of Mary. 
That means that Jesus probably looked like Mary. Isn't that awesome? To think, I, I think about kids when I look around the room. I can see kids that, that look like their mom or dad. You young people, I can see sometimes it, it makes me laugh out loud because I see you guys look exactly like your mom or your dad. It's amazing. Well, that's probably the way it was with Jesus. Jesus had the DNA of Mary. He had the same characteristics of Mary. He probably had the same mannerisms or the same facial structure as Mary. You could probably look at Jesus and say, yep, that's Mary's son. That's Mary's boy. Because Jesus is fully human. Now, let's look again at that that passage we looked at in in, uh, Luke 2. So let's turn there. Let's look back at Luke 2. We we already read it, but I want us to, to, to look at some details of it this morning. Luke 2, and I'll read the first, I'm going to read the first seven verses again. This is Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Just as an aside, you can see Jesus. This is not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? This is not a myth or fable. This is an ab- actual historical time when Jesus came into the world in history. It said, uh, verse 3, And all the world all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them or no room for them in the inn. Okay, so Jesus is born. Mary gives birth. There's no place for them. It says inn, but I'm not going to get into the whole thing. I think it's actually a guest room. Most of the, the houses back then had a guest room. That's the same word that's used here. So I think they weren't in the guest room in the back. I think they're in the main part, usually in the front of the house. They had a little area with animals. That's the way they would keep the house. So I think that's what they're, they're up there with, with the animals. So then Mary gives birth. She has this newborn baby. Picture in your mind a newborn baby. She, she wraps him in these swaddling cloths, and she lays him in the little manger, little feeding trough. That's where he's going to sleep, okay? And then later on in Luke 2, the shepherds were told by the angels that the Messiah was born, and they would find him, again, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, okay? And then the, the shepherds found uh, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. Now, just as an aside, something that's interesting, at least it's interesting to me. These little details, this is not about the, kind of my sermon, but these little details that I love what I love about this is little things like this, like, like the cloths and the manger, they're what, they're what are, are called an internal apologetic. In other words, a little internal proof to show that what we're reading is actually a historical account. It's a real thing that happened. This is not a myth or a fable. Now, why do I say that? Think about these little irrelevant details in here, okay? The, the, the swaddling cloths, the manger, what spiritual significance is there of Mary wrapping up baby Jesus in swaddling cloths? What, what spiritual significance? What's, what difference does it make if Jesus slept in a manger, a feeding trough? Who cares? Why does Luke, in other words, why does Luke include these details? He includes these details because this is simply what happened. It's just what happened. It's just a fact. 
And, and Luke is a great researcher. He's probably talked to Mary and interview her. And she remembers these little details. And she's giving this account to, to Luke. And he writes them down. Now, that's important because in modern fiction, in modern, if you ever read modern fiction today, writers will include these little details and realistic dialogue to make it seem like things are real. But you know what? This style of writing, that didn't develop just until the past few hundred years. So this idea of including little details is a new thing. So I'm, I'm saying that because when we're reading these little details, and you can find them throughout the gospel narratives, try, try to pay attention when you find those. Because that is just a little proof that what you're looking at is, this is a historical eyewitness account of what happened. And that's what this is. In other words, Christian, you should have great assurance and great faith that what you're reading is true. Okay? This is not myth or fable. All right, back to Jesus' humanity. Here in Luke 2, think about this. Jesus is a newborn baby, and I want to again stress the, the fact of his humanity. He's fully human. He's a baby. He's a day old or whatever. And in his humanity, I'm going to keep saying his humanity and his deity, in his humanity, he's a real baby, and he doesn't know how to talk, right? In his humanity, he's a newborn baby. He doesn't understand deep truths in his humanity, I want to think about what do little babies do? What do little babies know how to do? They know how to drink milk. They know how to cry. They know how to soil a diaper. They know how to sleep. And that's about it. And that's the way it was with Jesus. In his humanity, I'm going to keep stressing it. In his deity, is something different. But in his humanity, as a baby, Jesus only knows the things other newborns know. And by the way, I love the song, Away in a Manger. I want to keep singing it. But there's a line in that song, if you've ever noticed it, it says, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Why do they think that baby Jesus didn't cry? I I think it's an indication that the folks who wrote the song did not really understand that Jesus was a genuine human baby. It's not sinful for babies to cry. In fact, I remember when our kids were born, the doctor told us, that if a newborn baby does not cry, there's something wrong with that baby. I think it's called an APGAR score or something, APGAR. And, if, and, and they rate the health of the baby. And one of the things they do is listen to how loud that baby cries. And if the baby doesn't cry, if the baby just lays there and doesn't cry, there's something wrong with that baby. And that baby needs medical care. Well, there's nothing wrong with baby Jesus. He was a healthy baby boy, and I bet he screamed his lungs out when he was born. Because he's a healthy baby. So Jesus is a real human baby. And I can speak from experience that babies know how to eat, cry, poop, and sleep. That's about it. They know how to be cute. I forgot that. They do know how to be cute. So they know how to do that, but that's about it. And that's the way it was with with baby Jesus. In his humanity, he was a real human being. Now, here's where it gets complicated. Because even when he was a baby, he was God. He did not stop being God. Remember, he has two natures. And in his deity... He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the creator. He knows all things. But in his humanity, he is a baby that knows nothing. Do you see how complicated this is? You see how different? You're looking at this baby, and this baby in his deity is the creator of the universe who upholds everything. But in his humanity, he's a real baby. That's why this is so, so difficult. As a helpless baby, he had to be swaddled. He had to be fed in his humanity. He, he did not know things. He did not know when he's a baby that he was the savior of the world. He's a true baby. He grew up just like every other kid. He, he, he grew up just like us. 
in his humanity, got tired. In John 4, it says, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, this is a Samaritan woman encounter, wearied as he was, was sitting beside a well in Samaria. He got tired and thirsty, and he asked the woman for a drink of water. In Matthew 4, he'd been fasting. He had gone without food for 40 days, and he was hungry. You bet he was hungry. He's a man, and he hasn't eaten. He's hungry and weak. When he was crucified, you remember this? When he was crucified, he was so weak after being beaten that the soldiers had to get a guy named Simon to carry his crossbeam to go to the place where he was going to be crucified because Jesus was too weak to carry it. Now, think about it. Jesus, in his deity, is God the Son. In his deity, he's all-powerful and all-knowing. He doesn't get tired or hungry in his deity, but in his humanity... He is a man who is subject to weakness and everything else that that we are subject to. So bottom line, in his human nature, he has a real body like ours in every way. In his humanity, he also had a soul and emotions just like ours. He, He wept with sorrow when his friend Lazarus died. In Hebrews 5, 7, we'll see this later on, it says that Jesus offered prayers to God with loud cries and tears. In John 13, Jesus was about to go to the cross, and it says he was troubled in spirit. That Greek word for trouble describes a person who is shocked by danger. They're scared and they're anxious. In Matthew 26, it says Jesus was realizing the suffering that he was about to endure on the cross, and he said this. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. He was so brokenhearted, so sad, that he thought he was going to die. So have you ever been incredibly worried or anxious? Have you ever been intensely troubled in your spirit? So, so, so sorrowful, so brokenhearted that you thought you'd die? Well, if so, know this, that Jesus went through the same thing. In his humanity, he experienced the full range of emotions as a real man. He was a genuine human who had a real human soul and real emotions just like us. He also had a real human mind. And for me, this is where it's been difficult. And I'm going to talk more about it next week. But if you're in Luke 2, look, look down at Luke 2, verse 40. Look at Luke 2, verse 40. And this is talking about Jesus. And it says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So Jesus grew. He was a wise child filled with wisdom and God's favor was upon him, but he was still a person. He grew up. Look look down at at Luke 2, verse 52. Verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, think about that, increased in wisdom, increased in knowledge. He learned more and more, again, in his humanity. He increased in stature and size. He grew up. He went from being a newborn baby to a six-month-old baby. He learned to smile. He learned to make sounds. He learned to say mama and dada or abba or whatever it would have been. He, he learned these things. He, he, grew, he learned to walk. He learned to talk. He laughed. He grew into a little boy running through the streets of his of his town in Nazareth. He was a little boy running through his house, throwing rocks, chasing grasshoppers, squirrels, whatever. He was a real boy, and he kept growing like every other boy does. Think about this. He learned to read and write. He learned Bible verses. 
How did he learn Bible verses? By reading them and memorizing them. Now, again, in his, this is in his humanity. In his humanity, he learned to help his dad, who was a carpenter, a tecton. He probably worked with wood and stone. And as Jesus grew, he got stronger. In his humanity, he was just like every other boy. I keep saying that, except he was without sin. Now, here's, here's what's interesting, too. Even the folks that were around Jesus all his life, who watched him grow up, these folks had no idea that he was God in the flesh. No idea. This is, this is Matthew 13. Listen to this. Matthew 13. This is starting in verse 53. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? These are the people that, that were around him his whole life. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And aren't his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, aren't, are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They were offended by him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see what this shows? That, again, the people that knew Jesus, they knew his mom and dad, they knew his brothers and sisters, they watched him grow up. They'd been around him his whole life. And what they saw was that Jesus was an ordinary man. That's what they saw. They did not see radiant beams coming from his face. I think we sang a song that says that. They didn't, he didn't have a glow about him. They saw him, and they say he's a regular guy. Now, they probably thought he's an honest guy, kind man, but nothing more than a man. That's what they believed. Even his own brothers thought he was just a man. Even his own brothers refused to believe that he was the Messiah. Now, I'm stressing this because I want to keep reminding us that, again, that Jesus is one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And that's what the church has believed and taught. And the church has understood that Jesus was not made less than God when he became a man. Instead, we could say that Jesus added true humanity to his deity. And that's what we see in Scripture, that Jesus partook of flesh and blood, becoming like us, just like us. I'm going to quote uh, Max Lucado here, and I want you to feel the struggle of this, and I think Lucado is exactly right on this. Feel the struggle in what he says here about Jesus being fully God and fully man. He says, angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak, he grew weary, he was afraid of failure, he was susceptible to wooing women, he got colds, burped, had body odor, his feelings got hurt, he got tired, his head ached. See, none of those are sinful. Those aren't sinful things. He says, to think of Jesus in such a light is, he says, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. He says, clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. I think Lucado is right on this. I think many of us, and this is the way it is for me, I think many of us want to stress Jesus being God so much, and that's good because Jesus is fully God. We're not moving from that an inch. I'm just trying to tell you what the, what the churches believe. But I think sometimes we have stressed Jesus' deity so much that we end up denying his true humanity. 
And we can accidentally, and this is the way it was for me, we can accidentally have false ways of thinking about our Lord. We can have a tendency to celebrate his deity, to think a lot about him being God, but then we can end up minimizing his humanity. But we can't do that. In fact, next week I'm going to tell you about a heresy that was condemned that I have believed. And it was basically, I believe that Jesus had a divine mind, that even his humanity knew everything. The church has already condemned that as a heresy. I didn't know that until recently. Okay? And we'll talk about it next week. Again, in his humanity. I want to keep stressing that. But we must continuously remind ourselves that Jesus truly is human. And here's why this is important. Because when we have a better understanding of the fact that the Son of God became a real man, we can start to understand the depths of his love for us. We can start to see the incredible humiliation, the incredible suffering that Jesus went through to save us, to bring us to himself. Listen, there is a huge chasm between humans and God. There is a massive grand canyon between God and humanity. And the only one who could bridge the gap, the only one who could bridge the gap between God and humanity was one who is both God and man. He has to be both. And if you say that Jesus didn't really have a human mind or didn't really have a human body, then you're saying he's not fully man. And you're denying, again, what the church has taught. You're denying the possibility of a Savior who could bridge that gap and bring us together. So this week, I want you to struggle through this, okay? We're going to continue thinking. That's why I'm spending two weeks on it, because I really want us to, to grapple with this. But the only way that God could save us, the only way that God could bring us into a loving relationship with him, which is what we're made for, the only way he could adopt us into his family, the only way for that to happen was for the Son of God, the true and living God, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, to become a real man, to live a life of faith and obedience and to die in our place. As Paul says in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The fact that the infinite, all-powerful, eternal son of God would become a man would take a human nature forever. Jesus still has a human nature. Do you know that? He is still a man. The, the fact that the Son of God would do that, that is the most amazing miracle and is the greatest mystery ever in my view. But here's the thing. As difficult as these concepts are, as difficult as it is to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, this shouldn't lead us to frustration. It shouldn't lead us to confusion. You know what? It should lead us to worship. It should lead us to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ because in his incarnation, we see the depth of our Savior's love for us. The humiliation that our Lord went through to save us. God the Son, who is the true God of the universe, he left the glories of heaven and came down here to become a poor kid born in Bethlehem. Jesus left the palaces of heaven to become a poor man who grew up in a nothing town. He worked with his hands. He had poor parents. He lived a life as a real man. He suffered. He was worried and sorrowful and anxious. Then after a few years of public ministry, he was murdered. He was crucified. He was nailed to a tree. Naked and bleeding next to a busy road, and people passed by, and they mocked him and spit on him. 
He left the glories of heaven for that. Now, here's my question. Would you do that? Would you send your child to do that? Would you send your child to suffer like that in order to save a people who didn't even want you? I wouldn't do that. I'll just be honest. I would not do that. No way. And I wouldn't let my kids suffer like that. No way. And yet, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I wouldn't send my kids to suffer like that. You know why? Because I don't have the loving heart of God. I wouldn't suffer like that. I wouldn't leave the glories of heaven because I don't have the loving heart of Jesus Christ. As I said, this should lead us to worship. It should lead us to praise, to praise our blessed Savior. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to meet Jesus. That's my prayer for you this Christmas, to meet Jesus, to know him, to love him, to see the depths of his love and sacrifice. That's my prayer for you. You can know his love. You can know his love and forgiveness. You really can. Lay down your burdens at his feet. Lay down your hurts at his feet. Lay down your selfish plans at his feet. Receive his love. Instead of living a life for yourself, live for Christ. Instead of exalting yourself, humble yourself and exalt him. That's what you're made for, to be in a loving relationship with your creator. And that happens only through faith in Jesus Christ. What a great Christmas that would be if you'd turn away from pleasing yourself and turn to the Lord Jesus. And to my fellow Christians, my prayer this Christmas is that by thinking about Jesus becoming a man, it'll lead you to deeper worship. It'll lead you to more faith, more obedience, and more love, and more joy. By thinking about the depths of our Lord's love, what he went through to save us. So church, this Christmas, let's behold our Savior. Let's adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's rejoice in him because he is worthy. He is more than worthy. He is more than worthy of our adoration and praise and worship. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we praise you and love you. Father, as I said, I don't see why you sent your son. I wouldn't do it. But thank you that you did. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are fully God. You are the omnipotent, all-powerful creator and sustainer of every molecule in this universe. In your deity, you are fully God, and yet you became man. I don't know why you did it, but we praise you for that. We thank you. We thank you for your humility and being made lower than the angels, as said in Hebrews, in suffering and humbling yourself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we praise you that now you are the exalted one, Jesus. You are on the throne and you're ruling and reigning. One day you're going to return and make all things right. And I pray that for the folks in here right now that we would submit to your authority joyfully. And we would see that we were made to be in relationship with you, the God-man. So help us in that, Lord. Help us. Help us to live for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for your love and grace and forgiveness. And for folks who don't know you, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, work in their hearts even now so that they would know you, Jesus. They would adore you and live for you and know the, the forgiveness and the love and the joy that being in a relationship with you brings. So we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.